Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to speak to you about how God wants to produce in you a stable soul. God wants to produce in you a stable soul, stable mind, a stable spirit. What flows out of you should be maturity and stability. And this word that James uses a lot, steadfastness. And in the midst of an unstable world, God wants you to have a stable soul. That despite the waves and the winds around you, you are safe within the vessel of God and you are unmoved and unscared. Jesus points, uh, uh, paints this beautiful picture for us of a sleep in the midst of a catastrophic storm. Let me tell you, I want that kind of faith that despite what's going on, what's within me is greater than what's going on around me. And here, the brother of Jesus is writing to his church that had, has, uh, is now all over the world, and he's going to break down some of the very practical things that will lead to steadfastness in your soul. And he begins uh, his, his, his whole writing just saying, I'm James. He says, I'm a bond servant of God and of Jesus Christ. And that bond servant uh, phrase is actually translated to slave. And he's writing in the Greek. And the Greeks loved freedom and liberty. But James is saying, though I'm his brother, and I could even claim equality with him, I'm choosing to say, I serve. I am a slave to my brother. I am a slave to God. Why? Because he knows when I come under God as a servant of him, I receive true liberty and true freedom. Amen? So I'm not going to be a slave to the world. I'm not going to be a servant to the things going on out there. I'm coming under the servant of, I'm coming uh, under the, the reign of God and Jesus. And I just, I'm just blown away that he's saying that about his own brother. I choose to be a servant of my own brother. Let me tell you, this Jesus, he had to be unique. He had to be powerful. It had to be radical what he did and what he said. And James didn't believe up until the moment that Jesus appeared to James. And James said, something is different about you. And here, 30 years later, we find James saying, I'm not just his brother. I am his servant. I come underneath his authority. He reigns and I obey. And that is how he begins this letter, as a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be a servant to my own passions or my own emotions or my own feelings or my own ego or my own drive. I want to choose to be a slave to Jesus Christ, knowing that he dispenses mercy and justice and forgiveness and liberty in my time of need. Amen. It's so beautiful that James could claim all these titles, but the greatest title he chooses is a servant of Jesus Christ. And so if you, if you wouldn't mind just opening this uh, this little booklet that we've given you here, James right here, this is going to help you kind of follow along and take notes. I hope that you got a pen and you can uh, use it to kind of write down some of the key verses. And, and honestly, I think, I think it'd be great if you take some time, write down some things that stick out to you during this sermon. And then at the end, take some moments of reflection and let the word, the seed go deep and begin to become fruitful and apply it to your life because I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you. So I gave you this so you don't have to take notes on your phone because you're not taking notes anyways. You're texting and you're checking to see who the Celtics signed. But no, today we're going to hear the word of God. Let's just pray. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that you come and you speak right now in our midst directly to us. Lord, I pray that you come, Jesus, and have your way. We're ready to hear from you. This moment is yours. God, I pray for a spirit of agreement, expectation, and faith in the room. In Jesus' name, all God's people said... Amen. Hey, before we get started, will you just stand to your feet really quickly? Wherever you're at, just stand to your feet. We're going to do this expectation declaration together. It's been a little while since we did it, so just, just follow after me. Say, today I declare, expectation is my approach. Say, I want to change. Tell your neighbor you need to change. Tell me you need to change. You really, tell the other one you really need to change. And say, and I believe God can change me. Right now? Right now, now, I'm ready to receive receive. and respond and and see God move. move. Come on, let's go. Come on, tell somebody, let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. God, right now, we give you this moment. Come and speak to us, Jesus. Amen. It's so amazing how James begins his book. He's writing to an audience that is all over the world at this point. This is the first letter that's not addressed to a specific church or a specific person. And it actually was written before all of Paul's letters. Even though it comes later in your Bible, it was actually written before all of Paul's letters. And it was written to all of the Christians all over the world. Most of them came from James' church. So he's writing to people whose lives have brought them to the far reaches, but who used to come to Sunday service at his synagogue. And, and, and these are the words that he speaks to these people. Beginning in verse 2, he says this. He says, Now count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Watch this next verse. It goes on and he says, for you know that the testing, somebody say testing, of your faith produces, somebody say produces, steadfastness. There's that word. Produces stability. Produces maturity. Produces steadfastness. Let's go, let's go back to verse, verse 2 here says, count it all joy. Now, we just read over this because it sounds good. Yep, count it all joy when you go through various trials. Amen, hallelujah, praise God. <laughs> Glory to him. But, but hold on, hold on. Think about this. He's writing to people who used to be in his church but are now all over the world. And, and there's great Jewish populations found in Antioch, in Rome. It actually, Josephus, the writer, says wherever there was a major city, there was a major Jewish population in that city. And, and, and James is writing to these people all over the world, how did they get there? Well, we actually find in Acts chapter 6 that a man named Stephen, who was the head of their benevolence ministry, their I Heart My City ministry, got dragged before the Sanhedrin and was falsely accused, and they killed him. They, they stoned him to death because he declared that Jesus is Lord, and he was the very first martyr. After that, the Bible says in Acts that a wave of very real persecution hit the whole church and to the point where Saul and others like him, we're going room to room, house to house, dragging Christians out of their homes onto the streets. They were, they were being separated by their families. They were being uh, forced to renounce Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They were enduring great persecution, so much so that they began to flee 
all over the known world. Even Peter, Peter was locked up in Jerusalem, but he escaped because an angel let him out of prison, which is an awesome story. And so he escapes out of Jerusalem, and these, the, the Sanhedrin is so frustrated because the leader that they were going to squash the whole thing with has escaped to somewhere else. All of the apostles, all 12 of the apostles went all over the known world, and 11 of them died a martyr's death. They, they, they were... They were in the midst of very difficult times, scattered because of very real persecution. Very real persecution. And this is who James is writing to. He's writing to the people who are where they are because they went through very serious trials and very serious tests that pushed them to where they are. In fact, we see Paul, Saul, at the time, was going through Jerusalem after he rounded all the Christians up in Jerusalem. The Bible says he's on his way to Damascus, which is another city miles away because it wasn't just enough to hurt and, and persecute the Christians in Jerusalem. They had to go to every major city to sniff out the Christian community in that city and annihilate it. But it was on the road that Saul met Jesus, became Paul, because God is involved in even the most difficult, trying, horrific times of our lives. And God will turn what's so evil, he'll turn it for the benefit. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and he had his experience with Jesus as he was on his way to persecute and kill Christians. So this is who James is writing to. People that remember Saul, not just Paul, they remember Saul. He, he, he's writing to people that have had to abandon their homes and their families in flight to go and escape persecution. And, and how he begins this letter is count it all joy? Count, count it all joy? My brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, well, what, what various kinds were there? We know what the Sanhedrin was doing, but it, you know, at this time, this is when Rome also began to hate the church. So, so the, religious, the religious power hated the church, and now the governmental power began to hate the church. And these Christians uh, all over the world in the Roman Empire, they were beginning to be persecuted. They were beginning to be shut down. They were, their synagogues were beginning to be destroyed where they gathered. They were thrown for the next 300 years. These Christians were going to be thrown into Colosseums, and they were going to be eaten by lions. They were going to be killed by the spear, sword, publicly beheaded. They were going to be burned at the stake in city squares for the enjoyment of all. But what was amazing was it seemed that for every one that they killed, two more Christians were created. And they said, we cannot stamp out this Christianity because there was something so powerful powerful about their convictions that they didn't just die the ancient writers said they they didn't just die they died singing they died praying for those who were killing them one man was being burned at the stake and when they saw the flames coming up around him he began to smile and they shouted why are you smiling he said because I've caught a glimpse of the glory of God and that's what I've been waiting for I don't know if that would be my response. I say, I'm smiling because you're going to be. This, these flames are temporary for me, but not for you. No. I don't know. I don't know what I'd say. This is real. Like, when you think about this, this is not theoretical. This is not just a, like, a, like a nice quilt that someone framed and put in the kitchen. Count it joy when life gets tough. He's, he's writing to people that are facing down death itself. Very serious trials, very, very serious temptations, very, very serious 
times of testing, and, and his command is radical. It's radical. He says, embrace the infliction. Have a good attitude about it. He's, he's saying, hey, lean into it. Don't run away from it. Count it all joy. It's, it's, like, it's like take an account of it. Don't, don't, don't avoid it. Step up. Take an account of it. I know what's happening. It is real. I'm not avoiding this thing. I'm calling this thing into account. But here's the thing. It's not being accounted to injustice. It's not being accounted to anger. It's not being accounted to reaction. Don't you think, Paul, uh, don't you think James would have almost been justified if he said, hey, by the way, rise up in your own city. Fight back. It's unjust. Say something about it. Get in their face. He could have said that. He could have said, find a sword. Peter's got one. Ask him. He'll let you borrow it. No, instead he says, yes, it is unjust, but count it all joy when you're going through very serious trials. Why would he say this? Why would he say this to the people who are in his church that he loves, that he knows? Maybe it's because he knows that pain produces something deep in you that cannot be produced any other way. Pain produces a depth in you that pleasure never would. It only produces shallowness. Pain produces a, 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 a deep, it, 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 it digs deep wells in your life, which the waters will gush up no other way. It, pain brings you to the foot of the cross. Pain brings you to the, foot of, the feet of Jesus. Pain brings you, gets you on your knees. And that's what he's saying is something else is going on here. I'm not here to negate the trials and the tribulations and, and, the, and the, the testings that you are going through. I know they are very real, and, and so were theirs. You know, maybe our, our tribulations, the things we deal with are maybe more internal most times than external. Theirs were very external, but, but for us, it's, it's more of an emotional things that we're going through many times and mental things and, and things from our past, and, and that's all true, you know? But, but they're, they're very real. And I know there's people in this place that are, are, are going through separations in their families. And I know there's people in this place that are going through sickness and, and disease. And I know there's people in this place that your marriages uh, seem to be on, on the verge you know, of divorce. This is, this is what James is talking about, is he's saying these are trials of various kinds. They are real. They are happening. It, it's not faith to say it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. That's not faith. That's fake. No, it is happening. But he says, count it all joy because something else is happening within you. God is going to use this pain to produce something deep within you. He will not allow any of these tests to not produce something deep in your life. He, he will not allow the moment of, of, of sacrifice to be wasted. He will not allow the cry to be unheeded. God will use this moment to transform you into something different, might I say, better than you were before the trial came. You know, it's like, it's like in that movie, Lord of the Rings, or the book, if you're, if you're a reader, when... Um, Gandalf had to face the Balrog, you know, it's this, this demonic creature that comes from the depths and, and the rest of the company goes, but Gandalf has to face this thing down and they descend into the depths and he's fighting kind of this demonic force. And, and here's the reality, that is going to happen to you in times of your life where things are going to come from nowhere. 
Sometimes they come from the depths of your own soul. And it's like, where did this emotion, where did this dark night of the soul come from? Where did this depression or this anxiety, how did it rear its ugly head? I didn't even know I had this anger in me. I'm not here to say, no, it's not. Come on, just let it go. No, you are going to have to face some very serious things, some of which will come from your own self. Other times you're going to come into unexpected things that happen to you, very real situations. You know what's interesting? He says when you meet trials. One of the translations says when you fall into, there's going to be some things that are just going to ambush you in life. And you're going to trip your way into very serious, very, very difficult situations. And, and let me tell you, the only option you will have is to fight. But make no mistake, you are more than a conqueror. And God will use this opportunity for you to win this fight and bring you out on the other side much stronger than when you first went into that fight. You are called to be an overcomer, but in order to overcome, there has to be an obstacle. We want to be an overcomer without any obstacles. We want to be strong without any resistance. We want to be a winner without any competition. But I'm telling you, there are going to be some things that you're going to have to overcome that any, everyone else might not even understand. They might run. They might abandon you. But you have the ability to face this thing head on and emerge from that dark place different, stronger, better, more powerful because God is doing something through it. And he's doing something in you. He's doing something. God is mixed into this equation right here. Because I think sometimes our problem as Christians, especially when we've been Christians for a long time, is sometimes we, we, we will, I don't, I don't know, I, 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 I think sometimes we become like Job's friends, right? When Job was going through all these horrific things and these very serious tests and trials, Job's friends kind of say to him, they say, uh, hey, Job, come on, man, what'd you do wrong? Come on, it's just us. Just admit it. What'd you do wrong? And his wife, she takes it even a step further. She says, hey, Job, just give up. Curse God and get it over with. Just die. Just curse God and die. These are the only people that he's got around him. Job had a horrible crew, you know? <laughs> his, friends, his friends are saying, come on, come on, come on, what'd you do wrong? What'd you do wrong? Because there's no way you'd be going through these trials. There's no way you'd be going through this test unless you majorly sinned. But what'd you do? Come on, what was it? And isn't it crazy that we act this way too? You know? Like, sometimes we act this way towards others. Other times we react this way even in of ourselves. You get a flat tire and you say, I knew I shouldn't have done that on Thursday. <laughs> Shoot. You know, sometimes we're going through a trial or a test, or maybe God isn't answering a prayer, not for one year, two years, but three years, four years, five years, and you begin to start even looking around you and saying, what is it that I've done? You look within, all right, it's not me. Well, maybe it's my spouse. It's got to be my husband. It's got to be my wife. What did you do wrong? I'm good. What did you do wrong? Because God's not answering this prayer. We're not getting the new job. We're not getting the new house. We're not we're being able to build what we want to build. We're not being able to take steps forward. So what did we do wrong? And we're Christians, right? But we kind of believe in karma. Just a little bit. Like maybe not that if you screw up, you'll become a bullfrog in the next life. Maybe not that level. <clears throat> but we do kind of believe in law, an eye for an eye. 
If you screw up, God's wrath is poured upon you, forgetting that the Bible says God poured his wrath upon his son, and now his son provides grace and mercy to us in our time of need. And, and I, I don't know, it's maybe a, a Christian superstition, if I might say, that we, we sometimes believe that if we're going through trials and tests and difficult situations, it's because we're sinners and it's because we're failures. But I would say then that invalidates the cross. Because the whole reason the cross is here is because you can't measure up and because you are a sinner and because you are a failure and you could never attain grace. So seeing that, Jesus said, I will take it upon myself that you might receive life, I'll receive death. You might receive grace, I'll receive wrath. And so I've got I've to take my flawed thinking to the cross and I've got to submit it before him that maybe it's... What's happening to me and what's happening in me, maybe it's not because I did something. Maybe it's because God is trying to do something in me. Maybe it's, maybe it's not because I screwed up, but because God is trying to get some failure out of my life. Maybe he's trying to refine me. Maybe he's trying to make me more. Maybe he's trying to teach me something. You know, so many times we'll even pray like, God, just get this anger out of my life. And God says, all right. Okay, but you're going to have to go through a trial then. You're going to have to go through a test because how will you know if the anger's ever gone unless you go through a situation that really makes you angry? You know, how do you know if the rage is ever gone unless you go, go through an outrageous situation? You know, can you imagine if the early Christians thought like we do? that every single bad thing that happened was God punishing us? Can you imagine if they thought that way? Because 11 out of the 12 apostles were murdered. We would look at them and say, are they blessed? Are the apostles blessed? Because isn't God's hand supposed to be on them and favor so that their life is just, you know, like, like fruitcakes and unicorns and, and, and happy fun time, right? Isn't that blessing? You know, but here they are dying for the word of God. And, and the early church, the early church was hit with such serious persecution that people had to run for their lives. Wouldn't we kind of look at that and say, what, what are you guys all doing wrong? Come on. Come on. Where's, where's the faith, people? Because what we, it's what we say of ourselves. When God doesn't answer a prayer immediately, we say, well, what did I do wrong? I fasted half a lunch, you know, uh, the part I didn't like. And well, what am I doing wrong? We're, we're, we're in such a, a quick get it now time, you know, we're, we're in such a, a quick moving time. When something takes a long time, we say, we, we must be doing something wrong here. We got to change everything. And, and maybe that's what James is trying to say is like, look, God's trying to build perseverance in you. He's trying to build patience in you. And patience is a virtue that seems to have been lost to our generation. Patience is a virtue that you're going to need in life. Because anything worth doing at all is going to take a long time. Having a good marriage, it's going to take a long time. Having good kids, that's going to take a long time. Even a good career, or if you're going to build anything with your hands, it's going to take a long time. Even if you want to harvest, well, you got to, see, you got to plant the seed, and then you've got to water the seed, and then you've got to be ready for when it comes up. This is going to take a long time. And God's going to say, look, if you need it all right now or you're moving on to the next thing, you are going to live unstable. You're going to live haphazard. You're going to live unfulfilled. You're going to live all over the place. And you're always going to be look, looking for whose fault is it when God's saying, no, just slow down and mature. 
become steady. So this is why James has to come back and say, no, 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 guys, it's a, it's a joy that these trials and these tests are doing something deep within you. you got to count it all joy. Why? Because if you're going through a trial and a test, that means that God is not done with you yet. You know, it means that God still has something more to do in your life. He's not abandoned you, nor has he forgotten you. And he's not let you go through this trial alone. The, 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 the testing proves that you're valuable because you never test something that's not valuable. You never test something that's not valuable. You know, like, like you would never say, hey, Jordan, uh, is that real plastic? Is that real high-grade, non-biodegradable, kill-the-ocean plastic? Have you, have you got it tested? Have you guys, uh, had, have you guys been using those um, paper straws lately? <sighs> Man. That's, that's difficult, isn't it, you know? Like, if you forget about your drink for, like, two minutes, all of a sudden, it's, like, all soupy. You know, picking stuff out of it. Say, man, these turtles better be worth this thing, man. These, these turtles better be grateful for what I'm going through. I'm suffering. My biggest trials right now are these paper straws, and I left the windows from my car open last night during the rainstorm. So not, not that bad, actually. It's, it's not, the trials aren't horrible, I guess. What was I talking about? You, don't, you, the, you, only, you only test things that are valuable. You wouldn't test plastic, but, but if, if, you get a, 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 you know, if you get a diamond or you get gold, you want to make sure that thing's tested, that a certificate comes with it. This thing has been put through the refiner's fire, and the impurities have bubbled up to the surface because that's how you make gold, is that you apply a lot of pressure and a lot of heat and the impurities come to the top and you skim the impurities off the top and you leave the purity within. This is what a test does. It turns the heat up on you so that what is wrong in you begins to come to the surface, not so other people can mock you and make fun of you and you can feel bad about yourself, but you can bring that to God and say, God, I, I thought I conquered this, but I still have this thing right here. I, I thought I was better than this, but I screwed this up right here. God, I, I, I thought that I, I had more faith than this, but, but I'm very afraid of this right here. And God can, be set, can, can begin to say, good, let's get that out of your life so what remains is stronger, reflects the glory greater, is more pure. God is saying, look, you are gold. You're not plastic. You are valuable. Therefore, the testing is not there to burn you up. The testing is there to make you stronger. The testing is there to make you greater. And the testing is there to show who you really are. Who you really are. The testing is there to refine you, to produce in you. And, and so James moves on. He's saying, and so this is why, this is what the testing and the trials do. We can go to verse 3 and then 4. Um, says it produces steadfastness. For you know that the testing of your faith, it produces something. God's not going to put you through all of this for no reason. He's not looking down at you saying, like, ah, oh, figure, figure your way out of that screw-up, buddy. He, it's not him. He's saying, no, you, even if you got yourself into this screw-up, I'm going to use this screw-up to make you greater. Think about this. When, when Cain and Abel brought their first offerings, the first offerings ever before God, the Bible says that 
Cain's offering was rejected because it wasn't the best and it wasn't the first fruits, while Abel's offering was accepted because it was the first fruits. And the Bible says that Cain's countenance fell as he walked out of the presence of God. In other words, God said that's not good enough. And instead of coming, uh, using that to become more, instead of walking out and say, well, let me go get my best then, his countenance falls, which is a picture of depression or an anxiety. His countenance falls and he walks out. And instead of saying, I'm going to use that moment to learn and become more, he says, I'm going to kill the one that learned and became more. And God's saying, no, Cain, listen. God says, listen, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to become your master, but you can conquer this thing. Pick yourself back up. Stick your shoulders out straight. Pick your head back up and come at this thing again. Come on, bring a better sacrifice. Learn how to communicate with me now. Learn what I'm worthy of. Put God in right perspective now. But Cain failed that test, and because of that, he became a murderer. He became less. But Abel passed that test and became more. Listen, every single test is an opportunity for you to pass that it might produce maturity in you, steadfastness in you, stability in you. It will make you greater than you would be before it. And so there's an opportunity in every single test. There's an opportunity. There's a production that it would produce steadfastness, that you become stable in your heart. And, 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 and isn't that what we want to be? We want to be stable. You know, it's just like a desire of our heart. We just want to have a stable home, right? We want a stable home. We want a lot of light, open concept, a nice car, and tell the kids to be quiet, right? Just stable, it's what we want in life. We're searching after stability. I want a stable job. I want a stable relationship. I want a stable bank account. Maybe a little more than stable. I want stability. It's just what we're searching for. And, and, and James is saying, I hear you. I'm with you. I got you. So in order to become stable, you're going to have to conquer some things. And isn't it funny that we always run from the very thing that actually will make us what we want to become? We run from pain, but pain is the thing that's going to produce who we actually want to become. Are, are you with me? It's so funny. I hear people all the time in church saying, look, I can't serve right now. I can't come to church right now because things are upside down in my life and, and everything's unstable. So I, I just, I have to, I can't, I can't, you know, be part of the A team. I can't come to crew. I can't come to church because I'm, I'm upside down, not knowing. Listen, get alongside some people that can help you pass this test because isolation never leads to stability. Avoidance never leads to overcoming. James is saying, step into this thing. Lean into this thing, because this thing is going to make you steadfast, even in the midst of very real pain. Testing teaches you to be steadfast. Testing teaches you to be steadfast. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not shook. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not shook. Turn to the person behind you in the row behind you and say, I'm not shook. You're all looking at the back of someone's head. You need to tell yourself that. I'm not shook. You get that phone call, but I'm not shook. You get that pink slip, but I'm not shook. You get that negative comment, but I'm not shook. I'm not shook. Why? Because I've, I've been through some stuff before. God's made me more because of it. He's been, me with, he's been with me through it, so I'm not shook now. Now listen, it's easy to say amen now. I'm telling you, on Monday, on Tuesday, when things start turning upside down and it feels like the Titanic is about to break apart, you need to tell yourself, I'm not shook. I'm made for this. I'm not shook. I'm not afraid. 
Your emotions say, but we are afraid. Right? You say, my mind is greater than my emotions. I'm not afraid. Fall into a line. I'm not afraid. I'm going to speak to my faith, not to my feelings. The Bible says God is greater than your feelings, and he knows everything. So I'm going, to, I'm going to include God over here. My feelings have to go in a corner and whine because I'm not shook. Me and God are more than conquerors. I have to tell myself that all the time. And let me tell you, many times it's in great crisis that there's great opportunity, but you're going to have to lean into this thing and say, God, produce more in me. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? Are you with me? Is Pastor James helping you today? Is he helping you today? Because it's so simple, right? So simple and so beautiful. I was listening to a, a, a great friend of, of mine and of the church, Chad Veach, who's speaking at a conference, and he was talking about the difficulty of launching his church. And it really is a difficult thing to start a church from nothing and, and get people on board and part of the vision. And, and more than that, he launched the conference, and he was saying that both weeks leading up to the conference, his last two years, some catastrophic thing has hit his household with his kids to the point where they're in the hospital both weeks leading up to their leading up to their conference, which, you know, I know what running a conference is like, and it is not easy. And, and let me tell you, it seems like the enemy hates when believers come together. You know, and that's what conferences are. They're just like atmosphere, faith-filled moments, and the enemy hates it. And so, so, so all of a sudden, there's something happens in his home, and Chad was saying to God, why is this always happening? And he said, I, I just want it to get easier. He said, year after year, he was just saying, God, just let it get easier. When's the moment I'm going to break through? And it's just going to become easier to live for you and easier to, to overcome and easier. And he said, I, until I finally realized it never gets easier, but you will get stronger. It never gets easier, but you will get stronger. You will become a better prayer. You will be, have more faith. You will, your emotional capacity can expand. Your intellect can expand. It might not get easier, but you will get stronger. Stay in it. Don't get shook. Don't run from it. Come on, lean into it. Get some people around you. Count it all joy. Say, I don't know why this is happening. I might not even know fully what's happening, but I know God is good. He's with me. Me and him, we can do this thing together. Amen. Amen. And, 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 and he goes on to, in verse 4, and, and he says, and then let steadfastness, let it produce in your life, and let it have its full effect. I, I, I pray that, that you grow in your maturity and your steadfastness throughout your life, that it begins to have a full effect until finally one day you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know what's interesting about that? You'll never be perfect, and you'll never be complete, and you'll never be lacking in nothing, except when you get to heaven. So what's he saying? He's saying, on earth, I'm sorry to tell you this, from the moment you're born to the moment you die, there will be trials and tribulations of various kinds. But they can produce things in you. They can make you stronger and steadfast and stable. They can mature you. And the promise is one day you're going to reach heaven, and in heaven you're going to be perfected. You're going to be complete, not fractured, not inconsistent any longer. What you want to do, you don't do. I'm sick of my own inconsistencies. He's saying there's going to come a moment where you're not broken any longer, fractured. You're not inconsistent, but you are made whole and complete, lacking in nothing. That is our hope. And he said, but for now, verse 5 says, but for now, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He's such a pastor. You know, he says, hey, if anyone lacks wisdom, you know. If it was a youth pastor, he would have said, uh, you're all a bunch of idiots, so, you know. But it's not James. He's so pastoral. He's like, hey, if any of you guys lack wisdom, you know. He just, like, he gives you breathing room, you know. He gives you breathing room, like, oh, I might lack wisdom, you know. Ah, maybe he's talking to me. Uh, 
But he's, like, he's talking to you. If, if, if any of you lack wisdom, James saying, all of you lack. I, I bet you at first when he wrote it, seeing all of you lack wisdom. Nah, that's too serious. If any of you happen to lack wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God. If any of you, how do you know when you lack wisdom? You do something stupid, right? That's how you figure it out. You might be saying, I don't know if, if I lack wisdom. Have you done something stupid lately? Have you done something stupid over and over and over? Th these are the keys, people. These are the keys. <laughs> and and if, you, if you lack wisdom, he says, look, go to God who gives generously. And, 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 and go back, because I, I want to read the rest of this. Without reproach. He's not vengeful. He's, he's not angry. He says, just go to, go to God who gives generously. and Just ask him, and it will be given to him. And God is saying, look, I want to be a dispenser of wisdom. Here's why. Here's why. Testing will produce steadfastness. And steadfastness of maturity eventually will lead to wisdom. You're going to have wisdom in your life. You're going to have wisdom in your home. You're going to have wisdom for yourself and for those around you. And this is not just knowledge. Knowledge you can gain from a book. But wisdom comes from life experiences that you overcame. And wisdom is the ability to navigate tricky moments in life. It's almost, like, it's almost like your life is a ship and you are the captain. And you are going to encounter some very difficult storms. And you're going to come across some very uh, difficult shoals that you're going to have to navigate your life through. And if, and if you look around, you're going to see many people have shipwrecked their life all around you. And these are markers on where not to go. You can use their failure as a sermon on where not to go. The reality is, look, wise people, they do avoid some things. Wise people, they do have some things built into their lives. People with wisdom, they are producing something healthy out of their lives. But wisdom isn't magic. Wisdom is saying, I'm going to pass some tests. And I just need to pass more tests than I fail. And then I'm going to get some steadfastness, some maturity. And then there comes wisdom. And, and he's saying, if you lack wisdom, first and foremost, you're going to learn it through this process. And secondly, if you don't know what to do still, ask God. James, so simple. Just ask him. It's like, I get it. Like, oh, it's such a good point. Like, I'm, I'm trying to figure this thing out for my career. And James is like, you need help? Ask God. You know, I, I, just, I just don't get this with my kids. I, I'm, I'm disciplining them nonstop. Nothing's working. And James is like, you need wisdom? Ask the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. The one who's omniscient, knows all, is all. Ask the one that created you. You need wisdom? Look. Do you need wisdom to navigate these trials and these very serious things in your life? Go to God. Go to God because he's going to tell you, hey, not that way. Hey, slow down here. Hey, cut off that relationship. Hey, be very careful about this thing. Be careful what you say. You know what God's going to say? Hey, go say you're sorry to that person. And all of a sudden, you begin to mature. You begin to grow up. You begin to gain wisdom. And you begin to navigate your life in a new and a better way. This is a gift from God to you and to me. Wisdom. Wisdom is part of it. It's part of the promise of God. I think the problem is we rarely go to God. You know, I think James has to say this because he knows, like, we don't go to God first. We go to, like, our friends. Yeah, let me, let me reorder that. We actually, we, first we go to YouTube and we Google how to, whatever, you know. And then we go to Facebook, then Twitter, then our friends, then a podcast, then a book. Well, actually, more audible. We listen to the book, but we tell everybody we read it, but we listen to it. We read a book, you know, we read a, a couple chapters of a book. But, but James is saying, look, all of that, secondary. What's he saying? Pray first. I want that to be my first reaction. And you know what's crazy is it's not. 
a lot of times it's like I forget God until I'm at the end of myself. And I'm like, oh, man, where could I go? What else could I do? And God's like, I, I'll give generously. I want my first response to be prayer. I want to pray first. God, you know this. You're with me. Help me. Amen? Amen. And what will these things do? What will the trials do? They'll produce steadfastness. They'll bring wisdom into your life. When God will work all of these things together so that you will be able to have a steadfast soul in an unstable world, in an unstable time. I pray your family becomes stable. It's a process, but it's a promise as well. I pray your life becomes stable. I pray your mind becomes stable. Your emotions become stable. I pray that God begins to help you navigate the very difficult things of life, and trials will come, but they're not from the wrath of God. No, his grace is available to you that you might pass this test, pass this trial, become much more than you were before it, and be able to help other people through it. Can you say amen? Amen. Come on, does this help you this morning? Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.